Hello everyone, this is Colin here with the Aviation Spotters Podcast, and today we have the very first bonus episode of the AVSP. So we all know, if you're a big spotter, that there is a pretty big military event in the U.S. about to start here soon, and that is the Red Flag event. Uh, Red Flag 21-1 to be specific. For a lot of people, this will be their first Red Flag, and their first time at Nellis. I wanted to do a bonus episode about spotting at Nellis Air Force Base, uh, some of the etiquette around Nellis Air Force Base, and just some of the do's and don'ts, and kind of what is a flag, red flag, green flag, blue flag, whatever. I've only been there a handful of times, and I, I'm not a Nellis expert, believe it or not, even though I've been there for, uh, for a lot of flags. However, my guest on here for this bonus episode is a Nellis expert. He has been spotting at Nellis forever since the start of Nellis spotting. So it's my pleasure to introduce from Las Vegas, Nevada, Mr. Michael Grove. Michael, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. And how about yourself? I'm doing great. You know, it's a lo- the rain cleared up here in Boise and it's turning into be a lovely day. I hope the same is uh, for you down there in Las Vegas. It is. We're having dandy weather right now. Awesome. Well, hopefully that weather continues uh, for the next couple of weeks when uh, Red Flag 21-1 starts up. Actually, stuff is starting to come in for it already, so it's already getting exciting. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, so as we just heard uh, in, in my little spiel, you've been at you've been spotting or taking photographs at Nellis Air Force Base forever. So it's kind of let's give a little intro uh, for you. So kind of. Let's have the guests get to know you a little bit. So how long have you been at Nellis and kind of what have you done in the past? Well, to get started, I was born and raised back east in Maryland. And we can blame my father for it because at 11 years old, my dad started taking me to the Andrews Air Shows. And with my little Kodak Retina 1A with a fold-out bellows, I was photographing... F-101s and F-100s and B-58s flying back in the back in the 50s, and it snowballed ever since. Um, I joined the Navy in '64, flying uh, aircrew and P-2s, and went from there to P-3s, and uh, enjoyed that for eight years of my life. And moved to uh, to California in '68. And it was then that I started going to Nellis. As a matter of fact, people asked me when I first went to Nellis, and actually it was in 1968. I photographed F-100Ds with a Whiskey Baker tailcoat on them back in 68 at Nellis. And in 69, they got F-105s, and I photographed F-105Fs with a, a Whiskey Charlie tailcoat. Uh, for the people that don't know, what do the Whiskey Delta and the Whiskey Charlie tail codes? They're wing and squadron designation. If, if you look at Nellis today, all the tail codes that you see there basically are Whiskey Alpha, WA. Uh, and there's also the OT tail codes for the, for the operational test squadron. Uh, back in the older days when they were... Different squadrons and different aircraft, they broke it up a little differently. And, you know, WB would be the F-100s, WC would be the F-105s. 
WA were the conventional F-4s and F-111s. Uh, they pretty much gravitated away from the various squadrons having different W call signs, which was the, the tail code for the base was W, WA, B, C, or D, to now they've gone strictly with the WA for, for the Nella stuff and OT for the operational test squadron. Okay. That's, that makes sense now why Nellis is uh, WA. So you said that you started seeing the F-100 Super Saber, then the F-105. So I know you've been posting a lot of photos of um, the older stuff, like the old Phantoms and the, and the old EA, EA-6B Prowlers. So in your time spotting out there, um, what has been your favorite aircraft to, uh, to catch out there? For me personally, it's been the... Uh, the I like the... Uh, American-built aircraft with foreign registration. So for me, what's always exciting is to catch like the Israeli F-15s and F-16s, uh, really cool things like the Brazilian F-5s and the Chilean F-5s back when they had them. Um, it's, I really, really love the, uh, and the, the Colombian stuff, I mean, Getting the U.S. aircraft and, and forward markings has always been a hot button for me and my personal favorites. Yeah, that's one of the great things about a red flag is you just don't know what foreign militaries are going to show up. I mean, for me, uh, coming from Idaho, I rarely saw a lot of foreign military because I, I haven't gone out to Mountain Home Air Force Base a ton in my uh, photography career. Just recently started going out there. And... We saw some Belgian stuff, but going out to Nellis, you know, you get also just different aircraft. You mentioned Columbia. Uh, was it 183 is when they brought their kafirs in? And that was the first time I've ever seen a kafir in person. And that was just, you know, you never, you just get a lot of variety out there too. And I think what a lot of people are really compelled to see your shots is uh, like the old Phantoms and the F 117s when they used to do that back in the 80s and just the Phantoms. And this back when the Air Force used to just be a really big conglomerate of multi-different aircraft. Yeah, it's a touchy subject with the F-117. I mean, it was certainly one of the most unique airplanes ever ever around and still is around. You know, there was one that came in in Ellis uh, several months ago. Um, the fact is that they're, from everything we understand, is they're actually using them uh, at Turnipal right now as aggressors for the red flags. And there's yeah. been some stuff documented on that. It, for me, I always thought it was very difficult airplane to photograph, as is the uh, the 35 and the 22. Just the angles of the airplane it just don't make it aesthetically pleasing from my own personal perspective for, for photography. I much prefer the lines of the, <laughs> of the more standard gender stuff we have out there. <laughs> yes, Uh I agree that the F-35 is, is difficult to photograph just because of kind of how it is. Like, it seems like every time I take a photograph of that aircraft, it always comes up soft for some reason. It's just that A, the paint, and B, the angles and stuff makes it difficult to get a hard focus on it. Um, and the other side of it is, is that quite frankly, they're not really, with a lack of colors, that we've had and that we've been accustomed to, they they don't become aesthetically pleasing. I mean, if, if you shoot one, you've shot them all. Yeah, exactly. 
one last question before we start moving on to uh, the title of the episode here is how have you seen the bass change over time since you started shooting in the in the uh, in the sixties? Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting question, and uh, I started uh, photographing uh, actually before red flags, and we'll talk more about the history of the red flags. But I started photographing out there in the early seventies, and. For the longest time, for all through the 70s, up until the early 80s, I was the only person ever out there. I never saw another person in the 70s, probably till about 82, 83, did I ever see another person out there in the old desert. And back then, the base only had one of these old three-strand barbed wire fences out there. So you could, and in the ravines, it had been washed out. And you could literally walk from the desert right onto the base and you wouldn't even know you've done it because the, the fence was, was under sand and dirt. Um, and it was, it was problematical. I, you, could, you knew if you knew, if you look where you were going and what you were doing, it was obvious where the boundaries were, but you did have to look and pay attention. And security would come out every now and then and question me about you know, who I was and what I was doing. Rarely did I get um, anybody tell me I had to leave. They just wanted to make sure who I was and what side of the base I was on. But it did start to get to where they were bothering more, more than I liked. And I actually was able to call the base security officer. Back then, they only had one base security officer, um, Captain Brown, if I recall. At any rate, he told me to... Uh, Anytime I wanted to come out and photograph and give him a call before I would come out here and he would call and let his guys know and uh, I wouldn't have any, nobody would bother me again. It'll work like that for about 10 years. It was, it was pretty cool. But then as more people started coming, like I say, early to mid 80s and um, I don't remember whether Dan Stigevich and his guys were the first I saw or if it wasn't a couple cartloads of Japanese photographers. They both started showing up about the same time around the mid-80s. And then it wasn't until the 90s that things exploded. In the 90s, you started getting, oh, golly, instead of one or two or three cars, There'd be 30, 40, 50 cars out there sometimes. And it was getting uh, pretty haphazard. People were almost running over each other, trying to get from one runway to the other runway when they were changing and stuff. It was getting pretty awkward. You knew then that something was going to happen and things were going to change. And sure enough, you could argue for why... The Air Force did it, but they eventually bought the property out there, fenced it off, and it was uh, <laughs> we were no longer welcome. Yeah, a lot of people come in, a lot of people change it up, and yeah, I mean that's just incredible. Though back then, you just almost walk on there, and it's how cool the base was with everybody. And then, you know, this kind of the case, you know, nothing stays stays good forever. It really, really was, and you know, we've always you had restaurants around there like notoriously the memphis barbecue uh back in the day you could go to memphis barbecue and that's where all the 
the pilots and the crews would go eat lunch and stuff and dinners, and you could talk to them. And I remember specifically with uh, some F-14 pilots from VF-31 were constantly making a, a, in the morning, a right break for the right runway. And back then, the morning light, the best thing was a left break for the left runway, which is awesome to get them cutting around. And I remember talking to them and asking them if there was a reason they were using it. And they said, it's just normal pattern. I said, well, tomorrow morning, will you make a left break for the left runway in the morning? And they said, sure. And they did, and I got some awesome shots of them cutting around with a great light on them. There's a lot of flexibility we've had over the years with the pilots, and that was going on really until uh, until the, they closed Memphis Barbecue and some other company has taken over. And I don't know where pilots are going now, but obviously with the, with the virus, things have changed dramatically anyway, and you've hardly been anybody around, so it's difficult to get an arm around where the crews are going to be going for lunch and dinners where you can actually talk to them anymore. So anyway, Michael, let's, uh, let's start talking about the more nitty-gritty stuff. Um, we, already, we already kind of brought up a flag, so let's just kind of start talking about uh, red flag and just all the other different types of flags that uh, people go out and, and uh, shoot. Okay. Well, red flag itself started in 75, and I think everybody pretty much knows what a red flag is. You know, it's a, it's a combined exercise with most every asset within the Air Force or, or close to it, you know, working different scenarios, different days. Uh, you don't always see the same stuff flying for each event, um, but typically you'll have AWACS, uh, you know, governing the whole thing and monitoring everything, and an RC-135, the tankers, the bombers, the fighters, the electronic jammers, uh, you have an entire gamut. Like I say, that started in 75. In 81, they started intermixing a green flag in with that. Uh, so you had, well, let me see, back in 75, 76, 77, it grew from three flags a year to six flags a year. One of those six red flags became a green flag. And what a green flag was, was entirely electronics. You had EC-135s, EP-3s, E-8, you know, anything electronic was flying during the, the green flags. It was, to me, it was the most exciting time because I've always been kind of a, the electronic freak anyway <laughs> and loved the odd aircraft. Well, you've got all the oddities back with the old green flags. And the green flags went for 20 years. They went from 81, I think the last one was in 2000. And actually, a couple of years, for whatever reason, they had two green flags. But typically, it was one green flag a year. Red flag has evolved itself an awful lot. The early years, a red flag would have three periods, each period being two weeks. And they would have a swap-out day, which was... The time, if you had one day to go to a flag, you would do it on a swap-out Saturday. 
the amount of aircraft back then ranged from 140 to 150 airplanes in each two-week evolution. Well, on Saturday morning, everything, uh, 150 airplanes from that first evolution would all depart. Saturday afternoon, the 150 aircraft for the next evolution would all arrive. I mean, you'd be shooting 300 airplanes in a day. You don't do that. I mean, people find that difficult to believe, but look at the various people's logs. It's, it's true. It was probably the most impressive thing ever on the face of the planet where those swap out Saturdays. That's, that's awesome. I can only imagine just everything, this bang, 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 bang. It, it was just, it was nonstop all day long. Yeah, virtually the very second <laughs> the last airplane took off in the morning uh, to go home was <laughs> literally right after it was when the next airplane or the first airplane was landing for the next event. And then green flag changed. I mean, the green flag originally, as I stated, was a, uh, an electronic exercise with electronic warfare aircraft, which went from... 81 until 2000 and then they started a new green flag which is what we have today and the green flag we have today is it's basically an air guard flag the supporting Fort Irwin with the army up there okay and there's some other ones too that's what I touch on uh, I believe there's a blue flag and then uh, Wissant so kind of can you just uh, explain kind of what Wissant and, and uh, blue flag are I'm not familiar with the blue flag, to be very honest with you. Once it is the, it was the graduation for the weapons school. The weapons school graduates, has a class, and it graduates in um, June and December of every year. So, and you get a, for that graduation for, I think it's about a three to four week period, you'll get pretty much everything in the Air Force agenda here for the, for the students to, to work with. Uh, you'll get B1s, B2s, B52s, C-135s, RC-135s, C-130s, AC-130s, EC-130s. Every, everything we've got will come in for Winsett for those uh, couple of weeks for the graduation of the weapons school. Awesome. Yeah, I never really knew a lot about Wissant until I started researching it and talking to more people about it. And it's a very, very big uh, thing. Yeah, the other thing that has changed that has made uh, photography much more difficult at Nellis has been the uh, the agenda for the for the flags. And that is, we used to have a morning, an early morning launch that landed early in the or late in the morning. And then an early afternoon launch that landed early in the evening. Well, anymore, you have a mid-afternoon launch that lands mid-afternoon and then a night launch. So we went from having perfect morning light for a launch and recovery, perfect afternoon launch and recovery light, to now having... Um, Mediocre light for the launch and uh, and real good light for the recoveries. And if you're lucky, and there's the real crapshoot for this stuff anymore, is the afternoon stuff. 
if the evening is if the night launch happens before dark, you can get a lot of great shots. If it happens after dark, well, then you're relegated to if you want to try and photograph the, uh, the burner shots in the dark. And honestly, the, a favorite for a lot of people has become is getting uh, B1 burner shots in the dark. <laughs> There's an awful lot of people flocking to do that nowadays. Especially if they use runway three, and you get out on the desert and you get the B1 with the burners going with the, the Las Vegas lights in the background. That's pretty impressive shot. During uh, 23, I actually went out there and at night because uh, the 391st Fighter Squadron from Mountain Home was out there. And uh, they were launching at night and I got them launching with the strip in the F-15 at night, and then the B-1 was rolling. Unfortunately, she took the uh, the further runway, uh, the the east runway, I believe. And so she, we didn't get her with the strip in the background, but still, we got some pretty cool shots on Burner at night with all the jelly and stuff. And It's just really cool to go out there and do that. Burner shots are impressive. They're difficult to do right, but they are impressive. Yes, if you get them right, then it's, it, it's, it's awesome, but... You know, there's always it's always trial and error when it comes to photography, right? Like you're not going to get better at, better at it if you don't try. Exactly. So one last thing before we move it on, just one last thing about the flags is there is also another red flag, and that is Red Flag Alaska up in Eielson Air Force Base up in Fairbanks, Alaska. So there are uh, two different flags. Yeah, that's been a crusher for us because we we lost two of our flags. You know, we used to have six. Uh, then, then it actually dropped to five, and now with with Ileson taking two of them, we only have three flags a year at Nellis. Uh, we've uh, we've lost an, an awful lot of what we had at one point in time. And it's kind of getting back to what we said earlier about how much it's changed uh, throughout the years, too. It's still. Probably the greatest concentration of aircraft at any one time that you're going to get any place, in, at least in the U.S. Yeah, no, I agree with that because it's a lot of airplanes at a lot of time. Yeah, it is that. We discussed what a red flag is and kind of the overall makeup of, of Nellis. So let's start getting to the nitty-gritty of the actual etiquette. So the listeners have heard me and a lot of guests talk about the etiquette at Nellis um, from parking right to where to stand and all that. And it's very important that a lot of new people and a lot of uh, first-timers understand this. Uh, we walk a very fine line when we take photographs at this base. So far, we've had a decent relationship with the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and we've had a decent relationship um, with the base itself. There's two main locations that I kind of want to touch on with this, and that is Cheyenne and Speedway. So I think we should start off with uh, Speedway first. If you just kind of want to talk about um, kind of what is Speedway and like what are the type of shots that someone can expect and kind of what are the do's and don'ts when we're at Speedway? Most of it, honestly, is just using good sense and good judgment all the time. The problem we get into is we all get excited. And 
you have limited amount of great shots and and nobody wants to miss a great shot and sometimes you'll let your enthusiasm get in the way of your better judgment and that's something you got to constantly be wary of the one rule is this you never park or go on the air force side of any of the roadways be it cheyenne or be it las vegas boulevard out by the speedway you're not allowed on the Air Force side of the property. Why they don't post that no parking, I don't know. I've, I've talked to the base. My personal recommendation for them with all the billions of dollars they spend is put a couple of bucks into putting up no parking signs. If you don't want us on that side of the base, it's very simple. Put up no parking signs and nobody will make a mistake and do it. But it is an issue. You're not allowed over there. They, they don't want you on the, on the Air Force side of either Las Vegas Boulevard or on Cheyenne. And it's important not to do that. We don't want to frustrate the security forces for no reason at all. They have, they have enough problems. We don't want to become a problem to them. We need to remove that. That's, that's a must. As far as the Speedway itself, You've got the entire length of the speedway. It's all good shooting, all dependent on what runways are using and where the aircraft are making their brakes. And typically, they're using they're taking off on runway three. That's what they prefer if winds allow, and they will always land on runway two one, which means runway three means they're taking off towards the desert, out towards Apex, and runway 2-1 means that they reverse the runways and they're landing out of the desert and from Apex. And that's where you want to be on the speedway in the afternoon. And here's where it gets tricky. If you get the Navy aircraft, which likes carrier brakes, so they cut in tight. So when you're talking about the guys that are there for F-18s or, or the, the EF-18s for the, for the growlers, which there's a lot of for every flag, these guys are always going to cut in tight. And by that, I mean they're going to be down to gate one or gate two, uh, which means that everybody wants to flock down to gate one or gate two. Well, be careful when you move. Most of the normal stuff, the 15s, 16s, 22s, 35s, are going to be cutting around gate four, roughly, somewhere between three and four. So everybody, you're going to have 100 cars parked there between gate three and gate four. Use intelligence and common decency and courtesy when you're parking so that there's plenty of room for everybody else because you're going to have a lot of guys that are going to want the same spot. So, you know, make room for the other guys. But more importantly is when you pull out from there to go down to gate two or gate one to catch the growler, look for the trucks or any traffic coming down the road. These guys, that road is 55 miles an hour there. Whether it should or shouldn't be is immaterial. The fact is it is. Those truckers are coming down that mountain after being on Interstate 80 doing 80 miles an hour for hours and hours and hours. And they're coming down that mountain, which is 55 miles an hour. They're typically doing about 65. You pull out in front of them, you're going to create an awful lot of issues. A good chance you're going to end up dead and taking a couple other people with you. So use common sense. I mean, 
it's easy to get excited. I do it. We all do it. But you have to bring reality into it with every time you make a move out there. You really, really do. And there have been plenty of accidents out there, not by photographers, but people just failing to look the other way. It's also a very, very busy roadway, and people have died on this road. And the other thing, too, is what a lot of people do, as Michael just mentioned, with uh, parking. A lot of people will back into a spot and kind of park at a diagonal angle to allow more cars in there. And the other issue, if you have some people, like you said, excitement is a big thing out there. We all get excited. We all want that same shot. You know, don't pull in in front of another car or a row of cars and then block them from trying to get their shot. So it's also just being... It's also common courtesy as well. And the other thing you have with that now, particularly in the afternoon recoveries, which are happening sometime around 3 or 4 o'clock, is at the same time most of the guys are leaving the base. And a lot of the other gates now, because of the, of the, of the, the virus, some of the western gates are closed. So the amount of traffic that's coming out of that gate now and coming down Las Vegas Boulevard in front of us is... Horrific. There's a, I mean, basically, you got an awful lot of people leaving that base between three and four o'clock, pouring out of that road, and like I say, you got an awful lot of traffic. The other thing that's happened now too, even though it's not a lot, but it's it's adding to that same time frame, is you have these collision avoidance cars that are being tested. They're SUVs, and there's about. 25 or 30 of them. A dozen to 15 of them are down around gate one or two. And there's another 12 or 15 of them up around gate five or six. These guys all leave at about four o'clock. So you have these guys now all of a sudden pouring out. And it's not just those guys. They have support vehicles with them too. So you have these guys all pulling out onto the roadway there and like I say, it gets complicated, and you need to keep your head on a swivel and know what you're doing. Uh, spatial awareness, that and situational awareness <laughs> exactly. is key. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like when you're flying an airplane, you have to have situational awareness from the right and the left and up above and beyond all, all the time. Yes, yes, I, that's absolutely agreeable. The other thing too is. Um, you mentioned gates. Uh, a lot of the, you know, I know what the gates are, and obviously you know what the gates are, but for the people that are listening to this and getting a sense of what is Nellis, uh, is quickly explain what are the gates. The gates are the entrance points into the speedway, and they start at the, uh, the southern end of the speedway, uh, right almost uh, across the street from the, the helipad is gate one. And then as you go north on Las Vegas Boulevard going up that hill, you come to gate two, gate three, gate four, gate five. I, th I think they, uh, they go up to gate 11 now. So there's, these are all entry points into the speedway. And there are points that you have to keep an eye on for people leaving the speedway from. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of entrances and exits that a lot of people use, especially for the Speedway personnel to get in and out of. And, there, and the other thing too is don't ever block those roadways. <laughs> park on the gravel, never park on the paved parts. You will get, uh, 
the rule is this. You, you don't park on the paved part. However, in all honesty, I do a lot. But, but I live here, and I'm here every day, and I know what gates are being used and which ones you can and, and you can't. If the gate is, is typically if the gate's locked, you can, you can park there. There's exceptions to that. And that you'll find gate one open a lot now for the guys who, again, are using these, testing these uh, anti-collision vehicles. Um, but they all come out of gate two. So if you're parked at gate two, when they open that gate, they're going to get cranky. So don't park in gate two or gate one. If gate four is open, by all means, don't park in that one. And then at five and six, you have to be careful. Again, if the cars are there being tested, they're going to be coming out. If there's nobody there being tested, well, then you're probably relatively safe to park there. But just remember, it's an entry point, and you don't know when somebody's going to show up and want to either get in or get out. So you are kind of at risk. And the last thing we want is, as we said earlier, we don't want anybody to get into an accident or be hurt or killed. So we talked about uh, Speedway. So let's kind of touch on the other part, uh, Cheyenne. And a lot of people here talk about Cheyenne recovery, Cheyenne launch, blah, blah, blah. So what is the Cheyenne area? And this is where this one gets kind of um, kind of touchy. It gets very touchy. First of all, before we get to Cheyenne, actually on Ellis Boulevard, there's a bar. And the bar tolerates us a lot, but we have to be cautious not to inundate them too badly there. It's a good place to get stuff where it's taking off on runway 21 in the late afternoon sun. And we're getting crowds of guys there, which, hey, there's just more and more of us every day. Every one of these flags has more and more guys. These bars, this particular bar, which happens to be at the very right spot to get stuff taken off and, and flexing out to the west, is a, a great place to be, but they also have patrons, and they want to, want parking available for their patrons. And we've got to be cautious and be respectful for any place that we park, no matter where it is. We, we just really, really do. So when there's five or ten guys, it's no problem parking in their parking lot. When you start getting 20, 30, 40 guys, well, then there's no place for the patrons to park. And you can't, we can't do things like that. We, we just got to have common decency and courtesy. Yeah, now, as far as Cheyenne is concerned, as I mentioned before, the uh, the left the side with the fence, with Nellis fence on, you cannot park. You're not allowed there. They will come out. They will get cranky. And we don't want to have them coming out and getting cranky with us. So just, just stay away from that area. There's... That 20 feet of difference from being on the left side of the road to the right side of the road isn't going to make any difference from your photographs. It just really isn't. So stay on the proper side of the street. Stay on the street that is not the base fence. Just keep away from the base fence. I mean, they're, they're touchy about their security, and they should be. It's, you know, a lot of nasty stuff going on in the world right now, and we don't want to be get a part of it. We just don't. So don't create a nuisance for yourself. Don't 
create an issue for all photographers by hanging out on a fence where you know you shouldn't be. Stay away from the fence on the other side of the road. Now, the other side of the road gets a little problematical now because of the amount of us again that there is. The one place where everybody likes to get when stuff is, the fighters are coming around, uh, when they're landing off of runway three, that first intersection there is where everybody likes to congregate. Well, there's a guy who lives in that house and doesn't like to have 125, 150 people standing out on his front lawn every day for hours and hours. He just doesn't want us there. Whether you appreciate that or not, you probably wouldn't want 150 people standing in your front yard either for hours. Um, he does, and he hates our guts. And he's pretty vocal about it from time to time. He's chewed my butt more than once or twice. And the, re the reality of it is, is that he gets so upset sometimes. I've seen him a couple of times get in his old jalopy, spin donuts out on his dirt front yard, which obviously isn't very well kept, and throw dirt all over the photographers. Isn't a cool thing to do, but I can understand his frustration also. It's, it's touchy. We're, we're guests in places, and some places we're not welcome guests, <laughs> and we have to be yeah. cognizant of that. The other side uh, that I'm going to mention is that um, the truck traffic on that road has increased a lot. And you have to be really wary that uh, the truckers running up and down there. All those truck, there's a truck driver school down there. So all those truck drivers aren't all that experienced and probably aren't all that good. And you don't want to get run over by one. No, you do not. And Cheyenne is also, uh, a, it's not the greatest part of town either. It's a terrible part of town. I mean, I, in my, my personal opinion, it's one of the worst parts. I don't like to go down there by myself. I really, really do not. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 worth of camera equipment alone. It's just yeah. not a healthy idea. It really, really isn't. There is also a photographer who was staying at one of the hotels near there, that which a lot of people do, but he left his camera gear in there one night, and it was all stolen the next morning. Most of us won't stay there by the base anymore. That whole area has become a low-income housing area. It's not where you want to be for for decades, we all stayed at the Super 8 or the Best Western, which is now the Aviation Nation. Yet it's not, that's not a good part of town either. Most of us now will stay uh, at Sam's Town or Arizona Charlie's or someplace and make a little longer commute. It's worth it to you. Your safety, the safety of your equipment and your automobile, don't, don't, don't stay in those places. I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm sure the people up at the at the Super Eight wouldn't want me to say this, but quite frankly, it's 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 not a safe place for you to be. It's not a safe place for your equipment to be. It was 20, 30 years ago. It isn't anymore. It's the whole place has evolved. There's a reason why Walmart shut down there. If you all notice, there's a Walmart right down the street. It's one of the few Walmarts that closed. They closed because they couldn't keep up with the theft. The theft in that Walmart got so bad that the people who actually need Walmart the most um, ran Walmart out of their out of their territory. 
And that's insane to think about that they closed a Walmart. <laughs> this be smart too. And the other thing I was going to add is at the end of this is, you know, as an aviation photographer, we have a lot of people that don't think too highly of us like, oh, we're, you know, spying or whatever. So, you know, it really is in, in everybody's um, interest just as a group collective is just be nice and be courteous, especially to the people that live uh, on in Cheyenne and into the the personnel at the base and Speedway and to our other photographers, you know it really it really takes all of us and um, as we're going to get to in a second, kind of the future of of this uh, event and the future of Nella spotting in general. But it just takes all of us to uphold a really good reputation for the aviation photographer community. Yeah, I have to say that individually, um, I've been doing this like I say for many many years. I have met so many, so many good guys in this. It's unbelievable. There are some losers out there. There are in anything. I don't care what you what you have. There, there are guys who just people you don't want to associate with. By and large, most of the people I've met in the aviation photography community, I really, really like. I genuinely do. The problem is getting to be the numbers that we have anymore. It's just difficult to digest almost anywhere we go. Yeah. It's really growing. It's really Which really means growing. we have to be far more on our best behavior than we've ever had to in the past. Yes, yes we do. And kind of leading into this is what do you think the future holds for uh, Nellis Photography and uh, Red Flags in general? My humble opinion is that's up to us and how we behave. All the places that we go are all time bombs with a fuse already lit. The only thing we can do is our best to put the fuse out and stay there forever. If we get in a fatal accident out here on the speedway, there's a real good chance that could shut us down forever. Once we get shut down from a place like that, it's not going to reopen. And there was a fatality out there this last year where uh, a DHL driver pulled out, much the way a lot of us do, and his timing was, was very bad. Semi locked his brakes up, ran headlong into a, uh, an SUV, uh, killed the driver instantly. And um, obviously it's, a, it's a, a huge, huge issue. I'm thankful that it wasn't any of us involved with that, but we just need to make sure that none of us ever are. We cannot afford one of those kind of accidents on Las Vegas Boulevard. We really, really can't. I think as long as we behave, uh, I think we'll be out there for a very long time. I really do. I don't. Um, the Speedway likes us. They don't, or at best say, they certainly do not dislike us. They don't want us on their property. We don't belong on their property. They don't want us on their property. Guys are going inside the base to do uh, their flex shots for they for the flex departures, and they're soon driven out. Well, you don't want to be pissing off these security guys by constantly going inside. Granted, it's a better shot, but you just have to give that up. You're not allowed there. You're trespassing. And those are the kind of things that will get us removed permanently. I was just about to say, be on your best behavior and represent our community in the best way possible. There's no reason we can't be friends with the Speedway and be there indefinitely. I mean, 
The only yes. reason we will ever have to leave that place is if we screw it up. It, the ball's in our court. Yeah, and I agree with you, man. We just got to be are in our best behavior and just the best we can. So uh, wrapping it up here is usually on the Aviation Spotters podcast here. We always have to end with a spotting story. And, uh, man, do you think you can uh, give us one of like, your favorite memories throughout your whole entire Nella spotting career thus far? Kind of what was one day that really stood out to you and is one of your favorite days out there? Well, anyway, at Nellis? Yes. I would have to say it goes back to the with the green flags where I caught the uh, the Navy NK the EC24 and their uh, NKC135 uh, those Navy basic 707 135 airplane and uh, with all the electronic gear and lumps and bumps and stuff and with the EP3s, that was that was my absolute favorite day. That must have been awesome as a former Navy guy as well. I mean, you can't beat the Navy stuff out yeah, there, then, right? It was it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, Michael, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come discuss this with me on here, and I found this super super informative and i hope the people out there uh, listening to this did also if people want to come find your work or see your photos is there any way uh like people online can be your photos at all well as it relates to nellis i'm on the nellis spotter site and i post stuff there all the time i even uh, on occasion and uh, when I get a quirk, I'm quirky like everybody else on the face of this planet, and I'll, I'll post uh, an F-100 from 68 or an F-105 landing in 73 or uh, an Indian Sukhoi in 2007 or whatever it was. So uh, the Nellis spotter site for anything at Nellis is uh, the best place to do it. <laughs> All right, and you guys can go check that out on Facebook as well. And um, if you guys have any questions for uh, Michael or myself, feel free to shoot me a direct message at BOI Spotter on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, send a message to our Facebook page, The Aviation Spotters Podcast. And as always, you guys can email me at askspotterspodcast at gmail.com with any questions you might have for Michael or, Nell or just Nella Spotting in general. And I will shoot those directly to Michael so he can answer those back to you. So anyway, Michael, once again, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And do you have anything else to add for the No, uh, I don't. I mean, I think we've covered pretty much everything. The only thing I can yeah, just not say enough and say, this is the greatest exercise in the United States with the most amount of stuff. We have an unusual opportunity, and uh, the ball is, is up to us. We can keep this thing going forever, and I sure hope we do. Uh, I think there's going to be, once it's... Uh, Viruses passes, and I think there's some exciting times ahead for us at Nellis. There will be some very exciting times indeed. And, you know, you said, you, you guys heard it from the OG of Nellis spotting. Just listen to what he said, and everything's going to be okay, and we're going to be able to enjoy this event for a much, much, much longer time. But anyway, guys, 
Make sure to tune in next week for the biggest guest yet. I'm assuming you guys have probably seen who it is. I'm not going to give it away just yet, just in case you do not know, but you will not be disappointed. Michael mentioned the Indian Sukhoi Su-30s. Well, my guest will be talking about that next week. Anyway, guys, until then, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. We'll, we'll catch you on another episode here of the Aviation Spotters Podcast.